Hi, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. It may interest you to know. I'm Tony Marcolini, and I'm beyond thrilled to have an Emmy award-winning actor with me today, Joe Morton. Welcome, Joe. Thank you. Glad to be here. Now, I mean, really, I want to get into your new show, which I, I'm hooked on. Uh, okay. you know, it's <laughs> absolutely hooked on Inside the Black Box. It's running on Crackle right now. But I want to sneak in a few other questions, if I could. Um, you had an amazing acting career leading, leading to this uh, project. And I, I mean, I'm a big fan uh, of your work. The movie Speed. Right, which of course is blockbuster hit or the early days for Sandra Bullock uh, and mm-hmm. Keanu Reeves. I have to know because I'm just weird this way. The the scene when you're getting the people off the bus, right? You're filming that scene. Are you are you really moving? I mean, is the bus actually moving when you're the doing? The bus is actually moving, and there's actually a board between the two buses, and they're we're walking them across. No, it's all all that's real. All that is real. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What was it like to be filming that kind of an action scene? I mean, the, but the whole thing, I mean, the, the bus ride through the, through the city, uh, I was actually up in that helicopter. Uh, so it wasn't just green screen and, you know, you know, just kind of making it up. I was really up in a helicopter following the bus. Um, I think the only thing that we did, uh, obviously, um, that was uh, green screen, if you will, was jumping the bus across the gap. Yeah, um, he actually did. We had a stuntman actually get in the bus and make the bus leap, but um, there was no gap and um, all the rest of it. But that everything else, pretty much that you saw, was done for real. Wow! And the and the scene the when it blows up the plane ultimately. Were you there when they they, they create like an explosion like that? Yeah, they had us there so we could react to it. Um, but everything, yeah, just to go back again, everything we did pretty much. Um, I mean, I think the scariest things was. Um, putting Keanu on that kind of little scooter and kind of reeling him out. We did that, obviously, he didn't go onto the bus, but um, but we all that was done, yeah. Wow, that's pretty amazing. I mean, what was it like to be present and, in, 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 you know, watching this and being part of this and reacting to it? I mean, I think what happened with that movie was um, uh, people weren't as enthusiastic when we first started shooting as once we started. Because once we started... They started um, testing the film in front of an audiences and the numbers apparently went really high. So suddenly there was a lot more to do that we kind of redid the elevator in the very beginning a little bit. And we did that, this, that and the other thing um, because it's, the movie seemed like, uh, even though the budget was lower than whatever everybody expected, it seemed like it was going to be doing really well. So it was a lot of fun. Um, and working with Keanu was, and Sandra were, was great. Keanu was a, a great guy, very generous and, and Sandra was terrific. I mean, we had we all had a really good time. Well, and you've been part of so many uh, amazing projects in your life. I mean, from the early days, which I didn't even realize, I guess the early days of your career, you were you literally making appearances uh, on shows like Sanford and Son and MASH, right? right? Iconic uh, television shows in, in, the, uh, in the early days. Um, so that had to be pretty exciting to work with Red Fox, um, and well, it was. I mean, it, that whole thing was was really interesting because uh, um, I didn't actually get on Sanford and Son. It was a show called Grady that was a spinoff of Sanford and Son. Right, right. Um, and that happened because Red Fox decided he wasn't going to do his show because he didn't have a window in his dressing room. Um, and um, so 
that whole that whole situation uh, i mean to tell the truth the whole situation was kind of exciting until we actually started shooting that show grady uh and then i realized that the producers of that show were not writing for us at all that what they were doing was simply uh, regurgitating scripts that they had written for other uh, comedy you know comedy ensemble shows um and almost word for word because i was literally watching tv and was listening to a script i had just shot wow <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's it. Cause that was, I think that show wound up being relatively short lived. Yes. Six, six, six episodes and we were done. <laughs> <laughs> well, but it's still, it's a great, it's a great, amazing way to start your career with those kind of projects. I, I think. Oh I, no, it was, yeah. I mean, meeting Red Fox and working with Whitman Mayo and all of that was, was a lot of fun. Um, Carol Cole played my wife and she was Nat King Cole's niece. Um, so it was, you know, there were a lot of things about doing the show that was that was great. Um, yeah, I mean, you did some of the DC comic uh, ones, the Justice League, right? Uh, right. And uh, Batman versus Superman and all right. those. I right. mean, now that has to be some amazing work to do, right? Because anything that comes out of the comic book world, those fans are rabid, right? Oh, no, they were. And which is um, why we ended up doing... Because uh, if you remember, uh, after we shot Justice League, um, uh, Zack Snyder had to leave the project because of personal problems at home. Um, and then, I guess a few years later, it was Twitter. The people on Twitter were just screaming to see the Zack Snyder version of Justice League. Um, and suddenly we all got a call saying, oh, so we're, we think we're going to put this together. And we all got a call to make sure that we weren't going to get paid twice, was the thing. Um, and he put together a four-hour version of Justice League, which is just gorgeous. It's beautiful. Um, uh, and yeah, and that was that, even that experience, uh, Justice League, I was doing Turn Me Loose, which is a play about Dick Gregory off-Broadway. So on Sunday, after our, our matinee on Sunday, I would get on a plane and fly to Great Britain to shoot my scenes for um, Justice League. And it really felt like, you know, I was doing something very real at home. And suddenly doing this very extravagant Halloween show um, in Great Britain. Because the first, I think the first thing they did is I got my costume on. They put me in a rig and somebody picked me up and flew me over a, a fence. And it, it was like, it really was night and day. It was night and day in terms of what I was doing at the same time. But it was great. Um, it was a, a, I think Zack Snyder was just terrific. Were you, a com were you like a comic book fan as a boy? Not really. Um, you know, I grew up in a family where um, things were taken very seriously. So, you know, the only comic books that I think I ever had might have been the occasional Superman comic book, but mostly it was like um, those classic comic books that you could get that had classic tales. So I think those are the ones that I had. Because for every, I would think for most young boy that boys, that's kind of a dream come true, right? To, no, it to is to, to be around Batman and Superman and all that. Yeah, it was great. It was terrific. Um, um, and I think that for, for, <laughs> it was probably more enjoyable for my kids doing Justice League. Um, not that I didn't enjoy it, because I, I did have a great time. Sure. And then a scandal. I mean, I have to just touch upon scandal. Uh, an amazing pro project altogether. Um, getting the opportunity to work with Kerry Washington, Shonda yes. Rhimes, um, had to be through the roof. I mean, can you tell me like day one on the set? What's that like? It, it was a really interesting uh, set of circumstances in that uh, I'd gone out to LA for pilot season. I, of course, heard of 
scandal. I hadn't quite seen it yet. So I started watching it on my computer and I watched uh, all of the first season. I thought, wow, this is just amazing. Uh, this is terrific. And I thought, oh my God, okay. So got on the phone uh, and the producer begins telling me about the show and then basically says, what's going to happen at the end of season two is when we will reveal that you are um, Olivia's dad. And I said, you got me, I'm, I'm, I'm in. So, but I couldn't tell anybody, it was a secret. And Carrie did not even know. So Carrie would come up to me while, because we had table reads for every episode. Um, and we're now talking about the last six episodes of season two. And so as we're going through those episodes, Carrie would walk up to me and she would say, gee, you know, I'm so glad you're on the show. You're the only person I've ever called my parents to say he's guest starring on the show and blah, blah, blah. And she said, I hope we have some scenes together. And I said, yeah, you know, me too. <laughs> so it wasn't until we had that final scene, because we had no scenes together until that very last scene at the end of season two, where it's revealed that I'm her dad. Of course, I, I never missed an episode like most of the country, I think. Uh, and, and really, it was an impressive piece of acting, I think, and a, a great show. Uh, Well-deserved accolades, you know, come your way from that role. Uh, and I think to work with Chanda, you know, uh, I, I think had to be amazing from everything I've heard. Certainly a very talented woman. Oh. She is, she is amazing. She, um, I mean, to, to write the kinds of things that she wrote for that show in particular, and then uh, for me in particular, where I just thought were, I'd never been in that situation before on a television show. Um, I'd played a, a lawyer in a show called Equal Justice many years before, um, but the only kind of quote-unquote monologues you get is when you're in court and you're delivering your, your speeches or whatever. But this was part of the drama. Um, and the fact that they set me up as kind of this guy who's into dinosaurs and ends up with a giant, you know, skeleton of a dinosaur in my house or whatever it was that's in this museum place was just extraordinary. The whole thing was and working with her and Carrie and the whole cast. And, the, and that was the other thing I enjoyed about the show. Every actor on that show, every regular cast member on that show was someone who had come from the theater. And so we all were able to, in that way, approach the scripts from the same point of view, we have the same language. Um, it was about the work and not about any particular star. Um, and that just made it a glorious kind of atmosphere to work through. May I ask, because you've done so much, right? You've done film, you've done television, you've done theater. Um, yes. Do you have a favorite genre? Um, theater is my love and, and ha has always been my love. It's, it's my first love. It's where I started. It's where, um, um, ironically enough, I think the, the work on, theater, on, on stage is a lot more difficult um, than work in front of a camera for any number of different reasons. Um, so I think the theater is my first love. Um, television has been really, really good to me. So um, uh, I enjoy it. I enjoy being given those opportunities as well. And in my early career, there was, you know, I was working with the likes of John Sayles. So um, I think the theater is my favorite. I think that's the favorite. But um, um, uh, at this point, <laughs> I can only afford to work in theater um, sporadically because, uh, as you know, I'm sure there's not a lot of money to be made in theater and bills have to be paid. Right. 
And, you know, I think the energy level is completely different, right? The energy you get from, you draw from the crowd, uh, you know, as I've heard from many uh, actors who I've spoken to or interviewed, you know, when you're in front of an audience uh, in, in on stage, there's just this immediate energy that kind of propels you forward that you can draw from it, which is different, right? You have to pull your energy more from within uh, when you're in front of the camera, I think which uh, to the uh, to your credit you're able to do all well right because it's not because they are so different but I do think um and um on inside the black box we talk about this a lot um I think and even my son wanted to be an actor and I gave him the same advice if you want to be an actor do theater first if you learn if you learn how to be an actor on the stage then you can all the rest of it is much simpler um uh, the approach to a character is the same, whether you're on television or film or on stage, the approach is the same. The only thing that's different may be the physicality of it. Obviously, if you're on stage, you have to fill the theater. Uh, whereas uh, if you're on film, whether it's TV or film, it is about what the camera sees. Um, so it's, but I, I firmly believe that if you want to be in this business um, uh, as an actor, you should do theater first. I think that your your field or your world, you know, is and I say this many times, is incredibly collaborative, all right? Because it's not uh, it's not just if if, if I'm going to write a novel, I'm going to sit. It's isolating, right? I'm going to sit behind a computer and type. Uh, I'm going to immerse myself in this world, and by the time I let it go to, for the rest of the world to see it, you know, it's it's they're going to go see it and and absorb right. it. On, on their own. Whereas in your world, you have a writer, you have uh, who's creating, but then you have, you know, the, the director and, and the actor who breathes life into the paper version of that character and gives it their quirks and their nuances. Uh, and then, you know, uh, different hands along the way, the cinematographer, the, the director, the people who weave you through the story, and then the editors who know just the right cut to take. I mean, I think by the time, uh, they're, you know, you're completely done and you have a finished product. There have been so many hands in making that happen, mm. right? And I want to, I'm wondering, what is your particular creative process, right? And people have told me different things. I mean, I've had, I've had, a, uh, I have a, writers tell me, well, you know, I can't write unless I'm just behind the computer. I don't get any thoughts ahead of time. I just, you know, spontane spontaneity is, is where it's at for me. I just create as I go. And I've had people say, I will mull this over for, for months, you know, in my head. And then suddenly I'm in the shower and I'm creating. Wouldn't that be kind of cool if my character did this or that? How mm -hmm. do you create? Um, well, for theater, you have usually anywhere from four to six weeks of rehearsal. So, um, the process is, as you say, yes, there's a writer, uh, there's a director, but I think for the theater, mostly everybody, the star is the script. That's what everybody, so it's bringing the script to life and we have six weeks to do that. Television is a very different story because as you say, there's all those people who do what they do, um, but you're moving at a much faster pace. Um, there may or may not be rehearsal. You may just show up um, on set and they start shooting. So you, the actor has, to make all kinds of choices, which is important here, all kinds of choices before you arrive on the set. Um, yeah, those choices may uh, get modified depending on what your acting partner is doing. Um, so, so those are how the uh, director wants to shoot it. 
um, might be different than what you had in mind or what you thought was going to happen. Whereas again, on stage, you've worked for six weeks to kind of figure out what that blocking is and why you're actually entering or exiting at a particular time and how that's going to happen and what the lights on that stage are doing. Um, and then with film, I think the, the star is usually the director. Um, the director is the one who's sort of calling all the shots. He or she may have even moved things around inside the script um, as you're going along. Um, you know, uh, so the point of view is, yes, you're bringing what you're bringing in terms of your character to, to that camera. Um, but the director has pretty much most of the control of what's going to happen within that story and even with that character. Because the way they cut that character may not be the way you're even playing that character. They could cut it in such a way that it's like, well, I kind of did that, but kind of didn't do that. Whereas on stage, it is what it is. Um, you know, it's more like sports. You know, the, the, in sports, you either put the ball, you know, across the plate or you didn't. Uh, you either hit the ball or you didn't. Um, and in the theater, that's pretty much what it is, because there is um, not just the characters on the stage, but the other character is that entire audience who are responding um, differently from night to night, possibly, to the same event. Um, whereas on uh, in film and television, you are pretty much telling the audience where they should be looking and why they should be looking there. Do you, uh, do you get the opportunities to you know, ad-lib uh, much in, in any of the, the projects you've been in? And do you have a favorite, do you have a favorite moment or a favorite uh, ad-lib that wasn't in the script that you added in? Oh, I can't, I mean, um, for, um, well, I did a film many years ago, Brother from Another Planet, written by John Sayles, and that character didn't speak at all. He had no facility for speech. Um, and there was a scene, or there is a scene that's in the film where, he has to try to express to uh, a young woman um, how how her singing has affected him. And I spent, oh, I'll, I'll have another story after this, and I spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to, how to do that. And this scene really worked. Um, there's another scene in that movie, um, to your point, um, where I'm supposed to uh, recognize something on a wall that says someone else from my planet has been here. It's some kind of writing. And so uh, the production designer uh, wrote out all this stuff on a big card for me to learn so I could copy it. And I said, well, before I copy it, I, let me take it home and decide for myself what it is I think I'm saying. She said, great. So she gave me the card and I went home and I studied it and I figured it all out and I came back and I showed it to her and I said, so this line is this and this line means that and this line down here is great. And she said, oh, that's terrific, except you're holding the card upside down. <laughs> <laughs> and John Sales was standing there listening to the both of us uh, uh, as if we were both crazy. So, uh, some of these moments, <laughs> but they're great. I mean, what was great about that? So we were all trying to create something out of this hieroglyph that that the production designer had put together, and that really was the point, right? That we were all trying to figure out. So, what is he saying in this moment? Um, it really sort of didn't change how what I what the things I wanted to say. I just had to learn the hieroglyphs in a different way. Um, but again, the 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 momentum and the the impetus was to create the moment, which was wonderful. Well, I think you know your career, you know, is so impactful, right? For a lot of different reasons. Uh, I mean, I think you've picked you know some excellent projects to be in, to be involved in, uh, and I just think you've had a, a great impact 
uh, certainly in, in your community uh, and in, in the way, you know, you've taken on these roles because creativity is not an easy thing. Uh, there are people who are not blessed with it, you know, and sure. don't have the ability. You know, they have maybe uh, more science or mathematical minds. Mm -hmm. uh, things are completely different. But you you have a creative mind. And I'm fascinated by the creative brain. Uh, I think bringing that level of creativity to any project such that you entertain the masses, right? Mm -hmm. you, you find your audience where they are in their life, right? You're meeting them at their level. And oftentimes people are going through things that uh, you, you couldn't possibly uh, know uh, that they are experiencing and they need that, right? They need to uh, just immerse themselves in some other world uh, temporarily, whether that be a book or a film or a mm -hmm. television show. Uh, and I think, you know, your projects have been among the finest in that regard in terms of really bringing somebody in. I, I think you've always made uh, interesting creative choices in how you've played the roles. You know, my understanding is that, you know, there's a huge difference often from paper character mm -hmm. to the, the the live version that, that and the actor comes in and uh performs you know there are so many different like nuances that come in in terms of playing the character where you can be a villain uh but you know you have that certain charisma or spin on the villain that almost that makes the villain likable right makes well and person. and that is what you want you want that villain to be likable um uh again on inside the black box where we kind of tell the students all the time is you know you cannot play a villain with the idea of that this person is doing something bad Right? There's no negative. So the I, so from my point of view, a villain usually thinks they're making the world a better place. Certainly, uh, Rowan was thinking what all the things that he did um, made the world a, a better place. Iago thinks that he's making his world a better place. Um, because you, if you if you if you're walking around saying, "Oh, I'm bad, I'm bad," then you you know you're doing what people call twirling your mustache, and that's just not interesting to watch. Um, but if you are, again, using Rowan, Rowan as the example, here's a guy who does a lot of terrible things, but the audience was caught, you know, they, whenever anybody would meet me, they would say, oh, you do such terrible things. And I said, yeah, but do I really? And then they think, well, yeah, he does love his daughter and he makes sure that he takes care of her. And he is teaching her how to sort of exist in this world in Washington, D.C. Um, but maybe the way he's doing it doesn't necessarily always make me feel good. But, but. But to be able to sort of straddle that and have an audience, I mean, they would, you know, uh, Papa Pope was my nickname. We, no one ever said that on the show. No one ever called me Papa Pope on the show. That name came from the audience and came from Twitter. Um, and I thought once that happened, I thought, so we've got them. You know, they, they, they love this character, love, hate this character enough to give him their own nickname. Absolutely. And I mean, I think that's a perfect example of what I'm saying, right? So Scott Bryce once said to me that, uh, you know, the best way to play the villain is, you know, not to know, you know, not to think you're the villain, right? Because every villain thinks that what they're doing is, is right. Yeah, <laughs> right? absolutely. <laughs> Albeit maybe right more in their world, uh, you know, right more better for them, uh, oftentimes, but if you play it with that level of, I think what I'm doing is for the best, I guess people can relate to that, right? Because yes. most people like to make their choices based upon what they think is best for themselves or their families. 
or how to get out of a situation. I'll do this thing because it's going to make my situation better. You know, I'll get rid of this person because, um, well, they're a bad person anyway. So I'll just, you know, Dexter, that was, that was Dexter's whole thing, right? right. He's going to kill people, which is a terrible thing, but he's only going to kill bad people. So is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? Um, and it's, 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 we approach all of our lives pretty much like that, right? We, we have to make choices. Um, myself all the time for every character, every line, every paragraph, uh, er, every story I've ever been involved in. They are, who am I? And that doesn't just mean what's my name and what my job is. It means who am I? Um, who, uh, where am I going? Uh, and that again, doesn't simply mean am I going across the street or to the bathroom, but where am I going in life? Who do I expect to meet? Same thing, has to have that same depth. Um, and then the last two questions are the most important, which are, what do I want? And to what extent am I willing to go to get what I want? And these are questions that we all ask ourselves every single day, whether you're aware of that or not. And I want to I want to get us into uh, your new project, your new show, uh, Inside the Black Box. So everyone, now we have we have the a renowned casting director, <laughs> producer Tracy Moore joining us uh, for the interview. Welcome, Tracy. Thank you so much, Sonia. I'm happy to be here. Oh, we're really happy to have you. Uh, we were just about to, to step into uh, the new show, uh, Inside the Black Box, which I believe is in the second season now on Crackle. Yes. Now, as I understand, you were the original, you know, puppet master, you know, behind <laughs> the project, right? You, you kind of had this thought. Uh, could you mm -hmm. talk to us a little bit about, you know, you know, having the thought, how you created this, you know, this, this project? Well, um, I, I kind of witnessed my own journey. That was really where the thought came from and my experiences mm -hmm. and knowing that, um, you know, these experiences were a common denominator around me and my friends. And um, there were different challenges and hurdles and obstacles that I didn't see you know, with, as a casting director, my white counterpart. And so as, you know, um, especially when um, guerrilla filmmaking like Spikes, she's got to have it during that time where all these emerging black filmmakers um, and, um, and even um, one of my films, Just Another Girl in the IRT, it was a very rich time. And, you know, if we didn't have money, then we pooled together money or we use credit cards or people mortgage their homes. You know what I mean? So um, that's the, the background that I come from. So in us having the discussions about the problems, it was like, well, we need a platform to talk about it and bring the awareness. And then let's talk about the solutions. You know, um, why are we struggling with these budgets? You know, um, after I believe we've proven ourselves as filmmakers, writers, actors, creative beings in general. So um, the idea became... Um, you know, the bones behind it, so to speak, were um, let's have a platform where we, people of color, can speak of their experiences, their truths, and their journeys. And we can sort of collaborate, you know, on solutions. And, and things have already sort of percolated from first season in terms of actors um, 
the actors, it's a part of showcasing them. And that's the, the other side of it was to create a platform for actors to showcase their talents in front of eyes that they would never be in front of. Um, and so together, it was like, you know, this is, in especially in 2023, we're still dealing with these issues, you know, and if there's not awareness to it, there's not going to be a change. So with this show, um, it just became this idea of telling the journey and the truth and having the actors, aspiring and working actors, display their talents and, you know, as it comes full circle, casting directors are calling for our actors or agents or directors. And that was a part of the idea as well, to provide opportunities for them. Sure. So the, the premise, I mean, you, you, you have a, usually an interview uh, with somebody who's successful at their craft as part of every episode. Uh, and then you have students. Are you helping to, to mold uh, create a, various scenes and the like uh, during your show. So it's it really brings in, I think, all you know, all aspects of the of the creative process there. And people who are uh, or at the beginning of their career, people who are you know monstrously successful already at their career, and of course dealing with two successful people, you know, who are able to give some guidance. Uh, it winds up being you know this uh, just this this amazing forum. Uh, for for learning, uh, I think you know when you watch it. Some of those scenes, uh, those actors, those young actors, I, I assume they've had some training to get to the point that they are in your class. Uh, mm -hmm. But some of them are just amazing. Well, and those those actors have all mostly been trained by Tracy. They're her actors. <laughs> she has a wonderful class called the Spirited Actor, and that's where we actually pull a lot of our audience from. And the thing is, is that um, a lot of these actors, um, I've worked not only have I worked with them in my class, but some of them have hired me as a as an acting coach to prep them for an audition, or you know, callback, or even work on the set. And the thing that we often talk about, Joe and I, is that how it comes even full circle is when actors who were on the show doing exercises come back and they're sitting in that chair and we're interviewing them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now that's got to be so, uh, you know, such a great feeling. I would yeah. think to experience that, to know that you've had such a hand in, uh, in not only mentoring that person, uh, but in their life. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I started out in this business in 87 as a casting director at, at MTV. And, um, and you, you, uh, you, you discovered a lot of people like uh, yeah. Donald, Donald Faison and Dave Chappelle. Oh. And yeah. Dave Chappelle is when I was at MTV, um, all of the comedians that I was bringing in were white comedians. And so I went to this place at the time called the Boston Comedy Club in the Village, saw Dave Chappelle. And I meant to tell, I, I don't know if I ever said this to you, Joe, but he reminded me of Dick Gregory immediately when I saw, he was like 19 years old, so smart, you know, historical smart and just sharp with his tongue and, um, and, and then I found out his mom was a teacher. Um, and, and uh, but I was like, this, this guy right here, right? And so I bring him to MTV and they're like, yeah, you know, 
yeah, he's okay. And then two years later, they're like, Jesse, can you get that Dave Chappelle guy? And I'm like, nope, Robin Hood men in tight. <laughs> he's out of here. <laughs> yeah. So. I mean, you obviously have an amazing eye because there are uh, – there are just a litany of actors I could name that, you know, ultimately owe their careers, I think, to you. Um, mm. So, I well. mean, <laughs> now you have this new generation in this class. And, and certainly mm. you've had some great interviews, right? Raven Simone, Felicia Rashad, oh. Debbie Allen. You've had the whole family on. Condola <laughs> Rashad. Rashad. Yeah. Yeah. So... I mean, how excited are these are these people to come on the show and be part of this this project? I mean, I think what because um, Tracy and I talk about this all the time. They all come on, I think, having some idea of what the show is going to be like. But it's not until they're actually there, and pretty much all of them have said the same thing. Oh my God, the energy in this room is just amazing. Um, as Tracy will tell you, you know, now we have in the second season when actors would come, they wouldn't just hang out in the green room. They actually wanted to hang out near the stage because they wanted to feel and see what was going on, because it was that exciting. Uh, the theme song that we have for the show was created by four of the students um, uh, who, are, who are on the show. Um, I then took them into the studio and we recorded it and it became our theme, show, our theme song. Um, yeah. So the, the feel uh, of one, a safe place to tell your story for the actors who are invited on and a place to showcase your talents for the younger actors. Um, is so electric that that it is a real feel-good space um, that that Tracy and I uh, managed to create um, from show to show. Now, are you are you were you friends ahead of time because I think you have such great chemistry on the show. <laughs> everybody today, but everybody says that. And today, someone said to me, um, "I coach um, in a space in Brooklyn." And they were like, oh, my God, I love the show. I love the show. It's like a master class. But, but you and Joe, you and Joe, like, <laughs> your chemistry, right? Um, wow. It's such, it's, it, I just, I honestly believe, and I keep saying this trust, like, I know for a fact, 100,000% that Joe has my back. Like, I just know that. And I, I know he feels that from me too. And so, and, and, and the other thing that I thought about today is that we come authentic to the step, the same. Mm. You know, even though you're in front of Emmy Award winning Joe Morton and Tracy Moore acting coach, right? We come like, okay, we're all on the same playing field. You know, we have experience, and we have resumes and knowledge, you know, but we just all on the same playing field. And that's what um, resonated Joe off on screen. Because when I said that to this actress at the studio, she said, that's what it is that I feel. Yeah. So I was like, wow, we, it comes through. Yay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, I don't, I think you can't do a show like this unless you're, you're just going to be straight up. You, you have to be honest about why you're asking the questions that you're asking. You have to be honest about um, the in, even the improvs. You know, you have to make sure that the room is just, we're ne that we, it, the room is never um, infected by anything that's not, as Tracy said, authentic. And I think that's, that's uh, I have a, uh, a friend of mine who's a singer, and he said to me once, he said, you know, uh, at the end of his show, he likes to feel that he left the 
um, stage behind us when he takes his exit in a kind of very pristine uh, way that every that it's all been cleaned and polished and 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 he said that that was my show and I think the same thing is true here that Tracy and I in inviting people on and, and working with these actors want them to feel this is clean and polished and pristine uh, which means that anyone can say and do whatever they want that that there is nothing to hold there's no reason to hold back anything really um within reason so i have to know i mean how do you create the the improv scenes like who creates the initial premise i mean is that is that the two of you is that somebody else how do they get started well we we actually have a team of writers and so joe is a part of it i'm a part of it and um we have spruce henry my son is actually in the writer's room as well because he's an actor and so the thing is, is that um, I, I, one of the things that I think we, we started way before, you know, we got the deal when we used to meet is to really look at all the theatrical games in, you know, all across the board in the acting schools and colleges. And then some of the exercises have come from my class that I've created, but we've really embellished on those. And, um, you know, um, I love the fact that each season going, in, you know, going into the, our second season, that the exercises became, um, they, they became bigger and broader mm. um, and testing, you know, the actors, their skills, thinking on their feet and moving in that way. So that was really fun and engaging to watch the actors do that. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. I, I think one of the things that happened was that um, uh, we, in sort of looking at different improvs and different games that need, needed to be done, because the one thing that we that we came out of uh, season one was that when actors would get up to do an improv, very often they ended up in telling a story that everybody in that room could relate to. You know, uh, one person was an addict, another person was a had a drinking problem, another person uh, was kind of hiding the fact that maybe you know, they're a little gay or whatever, didn't know quite mm -hmm. what to do or who to talk. And suddenly all these truthful things came out of the improv. And I think for the second season, we just really encouraged that even more um, yeah. to, to have people understand, uh, to get out of your head and just tell the story, whatever that story turns out to be, because you don't know when you're starting, but, but to allow that story to exist on its own without you being in your head and trying to manipulate it in some way that you think is going to make it better because... You're going to try to please me or Tracy or the other guest who might be there, but mm -hmm. but I think the students themselves have gotten to a place where they're feeling um, the honesty of the moment. Mm -hmm. Well, some of those scenes, those improv scenes, are absolutely breathtaking, uh, right? They, they those young actors do uh, amazing work uh, and and spontaneous work. I mean, I think improv is probably one of the more difficult things to do. Uh, you know, when you don't have you know you don't have a script in advance and you're trying to play off of the energy of the other person and create as you go on the fly. Uh, certainly not an easy job. And, and some of those scenes, you're just wow. Uh, mm -hmm. They really are breathtaking scenes. So it must be interesting to be in the room. As, as I mean, have have you either one of you had a moment where you had like this initial speechless, uh, you know, sensation when some, when a scene is done? Oh, yeah, I I could think of a couple. Um, I know from season one, I love the scene with um, Justin and Jalisa, and you know mm. being 
uh, the improv was her at, she worked at a store and he had raped her in college, yeah. um, but he had forgotten. Um, just where it, that to, it went to that direction, it was very um, heart-wrenching. Um, and then uh, Natalie, the singer this year, mm. That season two, that was awesome. And to have her with Notori Naughton, who is a singer. A singer, right. You know, that was great. And one young one young actress came on um, and she decided the improv was about two kids. So she was a little girl playing with her brother uh, <laughs> on an, with an Etch-a-Sketch thing. Um, and it was just delightful. It just, I just loved every second of it. Um, um, so it's, I think they again, feel free. They feel like I'm just going to go for it. And, and because it's encouraged, it begins to happen. You know, you, you know, the, the group theater from the thirties didn't happen by mistake. A group of people came together and said, we have this idea of what acting is about. Let's see if we can in some way um, foment that into something that's as tangible as we can make it, even though the process is not tangible. And I think the same thing happens inside the black boxes. Let's make this as, as tangible as we can in terms of what's available here uh, for you to use um, as an actor. Mm -hmm. I think mentoring, right, is a great gift that you give uh, an, another generation or it's just somebody, you know, who doesn't have your level of experience uh, that you can bestow upon another person to mentor them. Because any, any field that you may get into, and this is not just true of acting, anything when you're new to it, uh, it seems a bit daunting and you know you you don't want to look foolish, and even if you have raw talent in whatever the field may be, you do need a guiding hand. Um, so I think mentoring is a gift that you bestow uh, on on another generation. And each of you do it so willingly, which is not true. I'm sorry to say, uh, of many other people. Right? There are many sophisticated uh, people at the top of their field who are not willing to give of themselves. So I have, I'd like to ask, why is it important to both of you to mentor? Um, I feel it's important for me to mentor because I wasn't mentored. And I started out in this business as a casting director. And when I started out in the late 80s, there were very few people of color. And so um, in my mind, I was being mentored by Ruben Cannon, <laughs> but he didn't know me. Um, but, <laughs> and then I ended up working with him two years ago. But um, so um, what I did is um, as a casting director, there are no casting director books. There are no casting director schools. Technically, you work with a known casting director, and then eventually you become an associate, and then you branch off on your own. And so I just did it. I just jumped in, and I called five casting directors up, and I said, you know, can you tell me how to be a casting director? And they all said no, hung up. And then I called the same ones back and said, I'm, um, I'm a student at NYU and I'm writing an article on how underrated casting directors are. And then that's how I got all my information. <laughs> <laughs> so then it was, boom, Tracy Moore casting. And, and creative. <laughs> Even that creative. No, I'm, that's, I'm, that's exactly how I started. And, mm -hmm. um, and back then, the mayor's office of film and broadcasting is where like, you know, your photographers who are going on sets to find celebrities, they go there to look through the permits. 
So back then we used to sit for three hours on Friday and go through the permits and write, handwrite the production companies and I do cold calls. And so I didn't want anybody else to have to go through those challenges. And, and I've mentored um, 15 casting directors who are currently working right now and doing great in their careers. And so, you know, it, that's important to me. And, and, and I don't feel like the information that I've learned as a casting director, as an acting coach, I don't hold it hostage. You know, I feel like I need to give it out. I need, this is what I'm supposed to do. And that's a big part of why I, I mentor. Mm. And for me, I think it's uh, um, once I sort of achieved a certain amount of celebrity, if you will, uh, I felt it was my duty to help young actors and young directors. So I would get calls, we're doing this little low budget film, you know, could you play this part, blah, blah, blah. And if I had the time, I thought, yeah, sure, why not? Um, and I and that's what I would do. So I, for the longest time, was did lots of tiny little films that probably a handful of people saw or nobody saw. Um, but the point was that I was working with these younger actors and younger directors in hopes that maybe my presence might have been some help to to move their their careers along. Well, I mean, you do you're both doing uh, such a good job with this show, right? It's entertaining. It's engaging right from the first second. Um, I. Do you select, uh, do you have a some kind of consensus in selecting the students that get to participate? Yes. Um, um, a lot of the students are the spirited actor, but Yolanda Hunt, whose books our show, the, the guest on our show, um, she's also a teacher and a casting director. So she also has involved her students. That was actually first season. Now, second season, it was almost like there was a little mini war because we had our season one people who were like, definitely, and we were here first. And then people who heard about it were coming on. So this season, um, we had a waiting list, um, mm -hmm. you know, and had to sort of kind of spread people out because literally the first show on season one, nobody knew what the show was about. After we finished first the first show, everybody ran outside to call their jobs to either um, take off work, take off days. Like they weren't going anywhere. Mm. Literally, right, Joe? They were. No, it's true. It's true. Again, you know, season, the end of season one, they, they made up the song. That's now the theme for our show. Yeah. Um, so I, again, and people were coming from like California and Baltimore <laughs> and all over the country Chicago. to come be part of the show. Yeah. Um, so the, so the word of mouth within that community, which is the other thing I think we are trying to do is, is um, again, to use the group theater as a kind of example, is to create a community of actors who all have um, the same kind of beginnings, if you will, um, so that they can help one another, so that they have some, some connection. So remember when we were at Tracy and Joe's place, blah, 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 and we did this, that, and the other thing, so, you know, and to grow from that. Um, uh, I think these are experiences that, they will never forget, I'm hoping, um, yeah. and, and that they will carry on and, and feel like, oh, since someone, at just what Tracy said, because someone did it for me, I will do it for someone else. Mm -hmm. What do you think is the most important thing about your show? <laughs> well, the flip answer is that somebody's watching it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. People are watching it. So People that one, you can it. check that one, that box. Right. <laughs> I mean, but I but I do think it's it, it it's what 
Tracy wanted as the premise of the show to begin with, which is that the celebrities come on not to talk about their latest enterprise, but they come on to talk about what their experience has been within this industry as a, as a uh, person of color, um, which, which is that what that journey was. And obviously it will be different for every individual um, and their perspective on how, how what that was will be different from individual to individual. And they are saying it to a group of, you know, 40 or 60 students who are taking it in as real history, that this is something I have to listen to and learn from because it will help me, certainly. It will teach me something about how to move forward with my own career. Um, and then secondly, uh, it is, again, as Tracy said, a showcase for actors to be seen, not only by the guests who've come on, but hopefully by, uh, you know, casting agents who are outside of our show. And apparently um, it, that's begun to happen, that, that inside the black box has become some kind of casting destination. You know, so if I'm looking for a black actor, a young black actor, where'd I go? Turn on, have you seen Inside the Black? <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think, and I think that that to me is what's important about the show. And I I have to say that the credibility that Joe brings to the show, it is exactly what I wanted as a teaching tool. And so I love when people, the actors, say to me. Um, I ask myself, they imitate Joe. <laughs> they say, I ask myself five questions, right? <laughs> and they go through what Joe says, right? Or um, I teach a class, a, a live class on Saturday and, and students will say to me, you know, episode, second season, episode five, when blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh my God, I don't even know what that <laughs> you know, but they are so precise. They know when their episode was. Um, they really refer as this digital you know, if it was a textbook, they'd be going through pages, but they have the ability to flip through episodes and pull things that either inspire them, you know, when they're down, you know, um, or they don't think there's a role out there for them, or they're so encouraged, you know, right before a self-tape or a callback, they'll just go to an episode and get some words from one of our guests to inspire them, so... Yeah, That's Tracy was telling me before that uh, some people are actually beginning to play the black box at home. Yes. So they'll put something in a box and use it as an acting exercise. Yep. <laughs> That's what they were telling me on Saturday because, you know, improv, the, the other thing, these exercises are designed to, you know, have the skills in which actors need and they need <sighs> improvisational um, skills, right? And so this is something that's really doable with two actors and a group of actors as a warm-up exercise or to just create for them to be on point. And that's what, or um, one of my actresses were like, you know, I'm going to be ready for Inside the Black Box because that's the one I want to do. They've identified with these exercises. <laughs> I want to do a monologue. Like, <laughs> It's hilarious. When's the and we're also learning that, you know, because one of the other exercises that we do is um, it's called Blackwords, where we take a, a script that was written, written for a white character and we give it to a black actor to do the same monologue, whatever it might be, to see if there's a difference in terms of the, the dynamic of the scene. Um, and what we've discovered about that is because, for instance, we did um, uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, the, one of his speeches in court, and you, you realize that what Tracy and I have gone through as older people um, is very different than what young people are going through today. So that black man is talking to an all-white jury in the 1940s 
that has one kind of attitude to that he has to deal with because of the world that he's living in, as opposed to a 20 year old doing it to an all white uh, jury today. Uh, the 20 year old today is going to feel like there's a lot, I have a lot more power. I have a lot more confidence. I have a lot more whatever. Uh, whereas back in the day, you have to circumvent and do all kinds of things to maneuver your way through that speech. And so it's those kinds of things I think that they're beginning to learn um, because they, they will be these students at some point be given some period piece of uh, to, to perform. And so they'll have to remember that one of the things that they need to do is inform themselves with the history of that time mm -hmm. and not just bring, yes, bring your whole self to it, but you also have to then fill in the gaps in terms of, but what was life for black people like in the 1930s or the 1920s or, 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 or the 1800s, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so, so again, I think that's the other thing we're teaching them that they're, they're beginning to learn that we're trying to, to um, infuse a lot more of that kind of thinking inside the show. And, and that's also one of the things, too, that actors say is that that's something that's missing in acting classes. They don't get the history, right? So mm -hmm. just in 2023, we are raising, regardless um, of color, we are raising women to be bosses, empowered, strong women, right? Well, when women come in my class and do the monologue Roses and Fences and they're squaring up on Troy, I'm like, no, you, you know, this is the 1950s. You did not, you know, so the in infusing the history and talking about the history, which Joe talks about, that's been a layer that they've been introduced to in mm -hmm. acting classes and, and just getting them to think even more, you know, specific like that because they, they all, I'm like, separating them like you would never this is the first time you you're using your voice period you would never do that in the 50s right so when's the first moment for both of you that you kind of look around and realize yeah th this is magic what we've created here the sizzle reel i knew my that's favorite. what you were going to say <laughs> my favorite moment the sizzle reel we did you're just a boy monologue from Scandal. Not one male, I'll never forget, not one man raised his hand. A woman raised her hand. And so we just said, okay, we're going to go with it. And um, we had director's chairs on the, on the uh, set. And I just remember being off the set and looking over, like, to finding Joe, because I was like, he's not in his seat, right? And then I look and you know, we're in these rafters, they're steel, and I know they're cold. <laughs> and he's sitting on the steps watching her perform. And I was like, oh, man, this is it. Because that's a teacher, you know, like, he was there, he was present. And, and I just felt like this is it. This is it. You know, um, the joy has been in the journey thus far, you know, um, because I, I feel like we we always felt we were gonna it was gonna happen. We just didn't know when it was gonna happen. But um, that was the that's the moment that resonates with me the most. Yeah, I mean, for, for me, for different reasons. I think just to walk in, again, um, I was asked to come on as a guest performer for the Sizzle Reel. I was not a host. I wasn't part of the show. So just I felt what the guests that we were describing before. When I walked into the room, I thought, Oh my God, the energy in here is really wonderful. Um, it's terrific. And the reason I sat on those steps was if I'm going to help this young woman with this speech, I want to see her. I don't want to see the back of her. I want to see the front of her. I want to see what she's doing and what she's feeling. 
Um, and then also to sit with the audience that, that had been brought in that day, just to feel what was coming from them. So the sizzle reel to me, uh, I agree, was kind of the magic moment where we thought, oh, this really is going to work. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know we're running out of time. Um, I've already gone way over, and I thank you both for staying with me. Uh, th I mean, it's an amazing show. I, I'm hooked on it, and I, I highly encourage anyone who hasn't seen it to check it out. Um, tell everybody how they can see it. Crackle TV. You can download the Crackle TV app for free. There it is. And there it is. <laughs> Which is is actually actually how I I, I take it. I watch it. <laughs> so yeah. Well, thank you for being here. It's a great show. I I, I wish you you know several more seasons of it. Thank you. A lot more work. Yeah. To do. <laughs> so. I'm going to sign off from uh, the podcast and say thank you for watching. And if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, however you, you, wa you watch it or listen to it, please subscribe.